It's Wednesday, April 3rd, and today I'm dedicating this entire episode to my friend and brother Nipsey Hussle, who, and it hurts to even say these words, was tragically shot and killed on Sunday. Like millions of people, I'm crushed for Nipsey's family, for the community, for the city of Los Angeles, which he loved and repped as much as any one person could ever love and rep a city, and I'm crushed for the culture, for our nation, and even for our world. Today I'm going to spend some time unpacking why Nipsey means so much to so many of us. Because while some of you have never really heard much about him, to others of us he was not just a rapper, but a leader, a motivator, a brother, and a pioneer. And then later today I'll share what I believe some next steps are that we can take that would really honor him the best. As everybody else talks endlessly about Donald Trump, at the North Star we're going in a different direction. We're not just here to change the news. We're here to change the world. This daily news podcast is not a repeat of what you've already heard somewhere else. I'm here to skip past the BS and tell you what you need to hear with the color, nuance, emotion, context, and passion that our news deserves. This is Sean King, and you are listening to The the, the Breakdown. The, 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 The Breakdown. I don't know the last time I felt the way I feel right now over the death of Nipsey Hussle. As many of you know, my own brother Jason tragically passed away this past year, and his death hit my whole family like a ton of bricks. And it still hurts. In a span of just about five weeks, he learned that he had pancreatic cancer and then died from it. He really wasn't even able to get any treatment to fight back. And he was a young man with a wife and two young children. And we all got to say our goodbyes the best we could, but it has ripped our hearts out. And when we went through that, it was so unbelievably hard to see my brother, who had been the biggest, strongest guy I had known for most of my life, to all of a sudden see him have the life just absolutely drained from his body was hard. And I remember asking my wife, what would be harder, to see the person you love slowly, painfully slip away, or for that person to literally be here one day and gone tomorrow, which is exactly what we have right here with the death of Nipsey Hussle. At 5 p.m. on Sunday, he was full of life, full of potential, full of hopes and plans and dreams and creative energy, and at 6 p.m. he was gone. No goodbyes, no transition, just a harsh, abrupt, brutal ending. And I think what I've seen over these past few days since Nipsey was murdered is that as hard and gut-wrenching as it is for a loved one to slowly pass away in front of you, murder denies everybody, friends, family, colleagues, and others, just a chance to say goodbye. Murder denied Nipsey a chance to tell his most special loved ones just how much they meant to him one more time. Murder denied him a chance to make some plans for what a transition should look and feel like, and it's all just so ugly. Of course, we compare his murder to that of Tupac and Biggie, and in some ways I think we have to compare them because they were two of the most important figures in hip-hop, in music, really even in American culture, and they were both shot and killed. One, it hardly seems like it, but that was 23 years ago. And we also forget that Tupac and Biggie were just babies. Those brothers were just 
24 and 25 years old, and we really didn't even get to see them in the prime of their careers. We didn't get to see them hit their stride in their 30s or 40s. With Biggie and Tupac, we were just left to dream about what they could have become, and we'll never know. And I think that's one of the things that hurts so badly about Nipsey's murder. We did get to catch a glimpse of his maturity. He was 33 years old, and over the past few years, he was really becoming much more than just a Los Angeles area rapper. He was becoming a leader in South Central. He was absolutely becoming a key leader in hip-hop. And I don't just mean artistically. And he was an artistic leader in hip-hop. But Nipsey had become a voice for ownership, for entrepreneurship, for personal responsibility, and for what happens when you are fully dedicated to putting in the grind and hard work toward your goals. Had Biggie and Tupac lived, I hope we would have eventually seen what we're just now getting to see from Nipsey, which is what happens when wisdom and maturity meets hip-hop and street knowledge. Nipsey brought all of that together and really set the tone for all of hip-hop for status and success looking like more than cars and jewelry. But Nipsey made owning property and owning businesses look cool. He made it look cool to hire people from the hood that nobody else would even give a chance and give them jobs. And here's the thing. Nipsey has always been different. I want to play a clip for you all from an interview of Nipsey that's almost 15 years old when he was just a baby-faced youngster trying to become a full-time hip-hop artist where he shocked the brother who was interviewing him when he told the guy that what he really cared about was buying land and buying assets that grow in value. The video is on my Instagram page if you want to check it out and see how young it is, but I want you to hear it. Here it goes. The, 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 the breakdown. You know, how come you're not blinging and having all kind of crazy diamonds and all that? I guess you're here to get your money right, huh? All the time, man. You know, all that is cool for the image and all that, but all them is liabilities, you feel me? I'd rather invest in some real estate, you know what I'm saying? Something oh, wait, well, can you repeat that again, man? You're up-and-coming artist. What did you say you want to do? I said invest in some assets as opposed to trick off my money on some liabilities like diamonds. You know what I'm saying? Cars that lose value, so you drive them off the lot. So you you're trying to you're trying to get land. Exactly, homie. A real asset. Take care of my peoples, because, you know, that's, that's it, it look good, but at the end of the day, you're losing value, homie. It ain't, it ain't, it ain't appreciating, it's depreciating. It's losing value. What do you think... Uh, why do you think it's so hard for people to get that message? You know, I mean, one half, you get guys that say they got to impress the females. Female ain't trying to talk to you unless you blinged out. On the other hand, you got other people feel like they got to show off to the homies and impress them with their riches. I mean, what, what do you think is the, how do we get that out of that mindset? I mean, I feel like that's insecurity. Material things ain't nothing. I love that clip so much because I think I'd honestly assume that Nipsey had just recently started caring about things like owning land. But what we see is that he was always marching to the beat of his own drummer. What I've seen over the last few days is that other hip-hop artists knew that about him as well. They all knew that Nip was different. And I don't think I've ever seen hip-hop artists be so devastated. I had a chance to speak over the past few days with both Meek Mill and T.I., and both of them were just so crushed about Nipsey's murder. I had at least a dozen different rappers and athletes tell me that they had just broke down in tears and devastation over his murder because they all knew that he was special. He was their peer, but they also looked up to him and admired him. I call that a peer hero. They admired Nipsey's business acumen. They admired his love for his family, for his city, for his community. They loved how good he was at his craft. 
and how he kept finding ways to get better and better. Nipsey Hussle was your favorite rapper's favorite rapper. And I don't think another current rapper in all of hip-hop had more respect from other rappers than Nipsey Hussle, maybe except for Jay-Z. And for most of his career, Nipsey chose to remain completely independent without a label, and he did that on purpose, funding and producing and distributing his own music with his own price points and his own style and substance. And he did something that had really never been done before in quite the way he did it. But there are at least three reasons that I want to share with you all why rappers and hip-hop fans respected Nipsey so much. First, and I think you have to start here, Nipsey was a really good rapper and lyricist. He had a distinct rapping voice with a slight rasp to it, and he invented unique uh, rhyme patterns and used words that had literally never been used before in hip-hop. He was a brilliant, vivid, colorful storyteller, and he found a way to do something that's really hard to achieve in hip-hop, and it's even kind of hard for me to describe. Nipsey told stories of empowerment and entrepreneurship and self-determination and hard work and personal responsibility, and, and even just told stories of how to save up your money and use your money in smart ways. He was the rare rapper that found a way to consistently tell positive stories but couched them in so much coolness that everyday people still listened and learned and loved the man. I don't think another rapper in the history of hip-hop has ever talked more about business and entrepreneurship than Nipsey, and yet he did all of that and kept his street cred in the process. The second reason I think that Nipsey garnered so much respect is that he openly told his story about gang life in Los Angeles how he came up through the rolling 60s Crips and the good, the bad, and the ugly of what that meant for his life. I can't think of another modern rapper that's ever been quite as transparent about this as Nipsey had. And one of the reasons that he was able to do that and be so transparent, to be honest, was because he was independent and he controlled and owned his own music. Labels never would have allowed Nipsey to tell the stories he did and the way he did them. Now, he didn't glorify violence or gang life. And let me be honest here. Sometimes that does happen in hip hop where in the name of simply telling stories, violence or drugs, they are glorified. But that was truly not what Nipsey was doing. He was very much a documentarian of hood life. And he told stories of how he had escaped some of the pitfalls, but also how he wanted to still stay in the neighborhood that produced him so he could give back. And that really leads me to my third reason why Nipsey had earned so much respect and admiration from hip-hop artists and fans alike. Now, a lot of people want to compare Nipsey to Tupac, and I get that. He even compared himself to Tupac sometimes. But Nipsey, to me, was what we might have seen from Tupac if Tupac had lived 10 years longer. He started buying up properties all around South Central Los Angeles, and he encouraged people who listened to his music to do the very same thing. He opened up successful businesses in Los Angeles. He started a co-working space right there in the hood in a place where traditional business would never open up offices. He opened up an academic training center for young students. He opened up a barbershop, a clothing store, a fresh fish market. And then instead of just renting out all of those spaces, he bought out the entire strip mall where the businesses were located. 
and he employed people from the community that others just simply refused to hire. And the businesses were successful and safe. They had all really been declared a neutral safe zone for everybody to visit and enjoy. And it was right there in front of his businesses that he was shot and killed. Break it down. Break, 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 break it down. First, let me say this. We don't have to agree on everything. That's an unrealistic standard. And I mean this on several levels. All of you listening to me right now, we don't have to agree with each other. Those of us who see ourselves as progressive or liberal, we don't have to agree on everything. And those of us from certain ethnic groups, we don't have to agree on everything. That can't be our standard. We just have to make sure that when we disagree, that we do so in the healthiest way possible. Now, with that said... I'm hearing two opposing narratives right now about Nipsey's murder, and I want to unpack them both. Both of them are about black-on-black violence, and both stances really need to be acknowledged, unpacked, and understood. The first position is this, and it was expressed to me first by Dr. Melina Abdullah, who is not just the head of Black Lives Matter in Los Angeles, but is a brilliant scholar and contributor to the North Star. Melina and others have said that We can't allow the murder of Nipsey Hussle be used as an excuse to advance the trope of black-on-black violence saying that it's out of hand and must be dealt with aggressively. Now, maybe you're hearing me and saying, but damn, Sean, it was black-on-black violence. After all, it was a black man who shot and killed Nipsey. And you are right in that regard. But let me back up Melina's point and tell you why I think she's actually right. In the United States... We have more police officers per person than any other nation in the world. And the American government has often weaponized those police departments against black and brown and immigrant communities. What Dr. Molina is saying is that if we allow the targeted murder of one person, Nipsey Hussle, to give the LAPD permission to flood our communities with police, entire neighborhoods, in the name of black-on-black violence, then we've made a huge mistake. Because Nipsey wasn't murdered because we had a surge of black-on-black violence. He was targeted and killed by one violent person. And we can't allow that one murder to cause the police to justify some war in our communities. Are you understanding what I'm trying to say here? Because here's the thing. When a white person targets and kills another white person, American police don't flood any white neighborhoods with cops. They don't start any wars on white people. Hell, even when a white person kills 10 people or 20 people or 50 people, American law enforcement doesn't then hold that against all white people. But that's exactly what happens in all communities of color, and it's not okay. My friend and brother, Dr. Ibram Kendi, in his amazing book, Stamped from the Beginning, breaks down how it's actually a form of racism to hold all black people responsible for the act of one black person. And he's right. But so are my friends, my son and Tamika Mallory, two respected activists and organizers who've both experienced firsthand the devastating impact of gun violence in our communities. Over the past few days, I've seen both of them saying that we absolutely need to find better ways of addressing the violence in our communities. We can't ignore it or pretend like it's not a problem. It is a problem. We can't refuse to mention it either out of embarrassment or even caution Gun violence is a problem in our neighborhoods. And here's where I think both schools of thought converge 
and they agree, and it's that we both believe more police and more prosecutors are the exact opposite of what our communities need. Because here's the thing. Almost all crime in the United States is intra-racial. It happens inside of racial groups. Nearly 90% of all white people who are murdered are murdered by white people. And nearly 90% of all Latinos who are murdered are murdered by other Latinos. And nearly 90% of all black people who are murdered are murdered by other black people. So the truth is that white-on-white crime is actually a huge problem for white people. Almost all robberies of white people, all sexual assaults of white people, almost all of them are committed by other white people. But we don't hear or see them talking about the plague of white-on-white crime because they don't want their communities flooded with police. Let me tell you a story. All the way back, I think it was in... 2012, my family and I were living in Atlanta, and I moved to Atlanta in 1997 as a 17-year-old student to attend Morehouse College, and I loved Atlanta. I I went to college there. Uh, We worked there for years. We bought our first home there. We got married there. We had our babies there in Atlanta, and yet in 2012, we got this opportunity to move to Southern California, and we really started Googling and searching for where we could live. And one of the things that we searched was safe neighborhoods, safe cities in Southern California. And we ended up looking at a place in Southern California called Irvine. And uh, Irvine now has nearly half a million people. And in 2012, it was listed as the safest city that size of any city in the country. And so our family ended up moving to Irvine, California, which is a bit of a cookie-cutter town uh, right in the heart of Orange County, maybe 10 miles away from Disneyland. And we had lived in Irvine at that time. We had lived there for maybe a month, and I realized I had never seen a police officer. And I asked a friend of mine if they had police officers in Irvine, and he said, yes, they do. Uh, But I went another week, and then two more weeks, three more weeks, without ever seeing a police officer. I mean, I didn't see them on the highways. I didn't see them in the neighborhoods. I didn't see them pulling people over. I lived in Irvine, California for nearly three months before I saw the first police car. And even that police car was just parked in the parking lot of a grocery store there. And eventually, when my car got towed, I saw for the very first time where the Irvine Police Department was. And for a city of 500,000 people, It was a tiny building with a few police cars parked in front. And it shocked me because I started learning something that I never forgot. And I saw this for years when we moved back. We lived in Orange County two different times. And I saw this both times that we lived there. That Irvine, California was listed as the safest mid-sized city in America. Not because there were police cars everywhere. Not because there were police officers everywhere. Not because there were security guards everywhere, but Irvine, California was regularly listed as one of the safest cities in the country, really one of the safest large cities in the world, not because police officers or prosecutors or courthouses were everywhere, but because everybody in Irvine had a job. Everybody in Irvine had a good job. Everybody in Irvine lived in a nice home. Literally, there were community parks on every other corner. There were amazing grocery stores. The grocery stores in Irvine 
were the best lit, best stocked, healthiest grocery stores I'd ever seen. There were doctor's offices and hospitals. The hospitals in Irvine looked like the best shopping malls you had ever been to. The doctors were amazing. So people had good health care. All of the schools, not just a few of them, but all of the schools had amazing ratings online. If you look at some of the rating systems where schools get A, B, C, or D, or sometimes 1 through 100 or 1 through 10, the schools all had 9s and 10s. They were amazing, well-resourced, well-supported schools. And there was virtually no crime to speak of. And it wasn't because the communities were flooded with police, but it was because everybody was well-educated. Everybody had good food, good health care systems. Everybody in Irvine had quality health insurance. And here's what we found because our daughter ended up going to high school there. It wasn't that there were no drugs in Irvine. Drugs were everywhere. And our daughter, who started as a freshman in high school there in Irvine, quickly told us, mom and dad, people have serious drug problems at this high school. And she found that kids were full on addicted to drugs, drugs that we had never even heard of. But guess what happened to those kids when they were caught with those drugs or were found to have drug addictions? They didn't go to jail. They didn't call the police. They got treatment. You know, and, and, and when families even had issues of domestic violence, they got counseling. People weren't going to jail. It wasn't that Irvine didn't have crime. It's that drugs or domestic violence or other issues weren't treated in the typical way that they're treated in black and brown communities. And so what we found is that, yes, everybody in Irvine has the resources and access to resources that they need, and then that solves a lot of the problem. But what we found is that when they do have problems, those problems are treated with counseling and treatment and hospitalization. Except when we see those problems in black and brown and immigrant communities, They want to flood our communities with police. And so when we talk about black on black violence, what we often see is a prescription of more police. And so we see cities all across America, including in New York City, where I live, where the police departments keep getting larger and larger and larger, even when crime is at an all time low. And those police are regularly dispatched over and over again, almost exclusively to black and brown communities. So we have to determine for ourselves how we respond to the murder of Nipsey Hussle. First and foremost, mourn, cry, scream, grieve. Give yourself the space to be overwhelmed. Give yourself the space to be hurt, to be angry. Give yourself the space, the room to just be confused. I've experienced all of those things over the past few days. And don't skip past this stage because it's unhealthy to bottle all of that up and hold it in. Talk to your friends. Talk to your family. Let them know how you feel. Talk to a counselor if you can, but just don't hold it in. And then we need to determine how we respond. And listen, I'm all for listening to Nipsey's music. I've been listening to it. Buy it if you've never bought it. Stream it if you've never streamed it. Do that. But I think the best way we honor Nipsey is by doing what he was trying to do with his life. Nipsey was a huge inspiration for me, and I actually had a chance to talk to him about the North Star and how I hoped he would eventually become an investor one day when we opened that up for everybody. And he believed in what we were building. But Nipsey used his money 
and his influence and his fame, he used that to do good in his community. And that's what all of us need to be doing. And to be clear, I'm not talking about Facebook and Instagram posts. I'm talking about us getting offline and doing tangible, measurable good for our communities. And let me say it like this, and it might sting a little bit. If I went to the people around you, if I went to your friends and family, and I asked them, what is it and who is it that you are fighting for? And your friends and family, they can't tell me in an instant. then that means you're not fighting for anything or for anybody. Because when you are like Nipsey and are really out there fighting to transform an entire community or fighting for a cause, everybody around you knows about it. Now, listen, I've got to run, but I have some great news to share with you as we close. If you listened to yesterday's episode of The Breakdown, you heard me tell the story of Jermaine Demetrius Anderson, the wonderful brother who served his time in prison over 13 years ago, who was now being told that he needed to go back to prison to serve even more time. Well, guess what? The Federal Bureau of Prisons just agreed to drop that extra time and allow him to just live his life. How beautiful is that? A lot of people were fighting behind the scenes for him, and I'm so grateful for their work, and I'm so glad that he's going to be able to just move on with his life and be free. Thank you all for making it all the way through this episode of The Breakdown. If you haven't already subscribed to our podcast, we'll be right back here every single weekday, breaking down important news stories and issues. And we'd love for you to subscribe here and share this with your friends and family. Thank you so much, of course, to the nearly 30,000 founding members of the North Star, whose generosity even makes this podcast possible. We love and appreciate each of you. Now, if you love this podcast and you want to support our work, or you want to see the show notes and transcripts for each episode, we'd love it if you'd consider becoming a founding member of our community at thenorthstar.com. There we not only have our podcast, but we also have hundreds of other original articles and stories and commentaries from some of the leading scholars and thinkers in the world. Lastly, thank you to our producer and podcasting director, Willis, for putting in the hard work to get this podcast off the ground. Take care, everybody.